0: Well, hello and good day, Magnificent Podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you as always. We are here. We are back in part two with the absolutely phenomenal Robert Grant, who is currently in Egypt. I hope that you are following him on Instagram, looking at his posts and his discoveries and his videos. It is truly phenomenal, groundbreaking work that he is doing. I know you're going to enjoy part two. We just continue to dive deeper in this episode. We talk about the work of Alan Green. We talk about uh, we've taken why and how we've taken the heart out of science. Uh, the great pyramid as a reference to our consciousness the numerical universe cosmometry by marshall leverts who is a previous podcast guest robert recommends his top three books and there is so much more i know you're going to love this part too if you enjoy it and you want to spread the vibe please share this on facebook tag me share it on instagram tag myself and robert let us know if you have any questions what you liked um, what you enjoyed where you're listening we'd love to hear from you and thank you everybody Today is a fantastic celebration day. I just hit 1 million views on YouTube. Thanks to you guys. And the only way that the show gets out there is by sharing it on your Facebook and on your Instagram. That is literally the best and only way the show gets out there. So thank you guys so much for all your shares, all your supports and comments comments i really do appreciate them um thank you to all my patrons for making this show possible it really helps i appreciate it and i also want to welcome and thank the all new mastermind body and spirit academy members alex and clayton Cohn, my homie um so great to have you in the academy when you sign up for the academy you get a free access to the Soul Compass course. It is 21 lessons to help you get unstuck, overcome self-sabotage, and really get crystal clear on the direction of your life, what's most important to you, and gives you a clear map on how to get there as well. So it is truly an empowering course. It is the same process that I go through if we do some one-on-one coaching. And if you're interested in that, and you're really serious about breaking through limiting beliefs, old patterns, and you really want to uncover your life purpose, you want to go from a career to a calling or you want to, you know, make your life meaningful and do what you came here to do be here, be who you came here to be. That is really what the coaching is all about. And we'll give you the best tools, systems, strategies and support. So you can get very clear on your own mission from your heart and your soul and you will know that it is yours. It is not a complicated process. It's a very simple process, but it requires you going through the work. So if you're interested in either of those things, go to MattBelair.com. You'll see the Academy link there. You'll see the coaching there. And I would love to hear from you and work from you uh, with you. Um, Thank you guys for all of the reviews on iTunes. They help tremendously. Please take a moment to leave a review in iTunes. Um, It really helps to boost the show and it gets the word out there. As always, the best thing that you can do if you want to support this program is to do one kind act in the world you are living in today, do one nice thing for another human being is the absolute best way to support this show. Now, without further ado, let's get into this amazing episode by coming into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing, take in a deep breath in through your nose, hold that breath, and just let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, compassion, inspiration, wonder, curiosity, and ready to take on this absolutely phenomenal episode with my friend, Robert Grant.
1: A blueprint of man's unfolding spiritual journey through the sacred energy centers in the spine, known as the chakras. Perhaps finding these inner chambers in ourselves is our ultimate purpose. And the Great Pyramid, but a metaphor for the true measure of mankind.
2: So I'm super excited. I'm going back to uh, Egypt in another, uh, you know, several weeks. And um, I'm just, it's going to be an epic trip. (laughs) We've got, uh, we're going to do all kinds of stuff that's never been done before. And um, I cannot wait. Very, very excited about that trip coming up.
0: Who are you going with this time? I know our, our first episode, you had made a discovery in the pyramid. And uh, you know, even that that video there and and everything that's coming out of the pyramid and how it's linking to other polymaths or these great minds of yesterday seem to be encoding these things. And Shakespeare as well is is fascinating. I watched his two-hour video. He did one with Dan Winter, and Dan Winter is also incredibly interesting and what he was sharing about Shakespeare had no idea about, and it seems to be always pointing to some, at the deepest level, a correlation of mathematics. And it's amazing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It does come down to mathematics uh, for sure, because it's a language that the consciousness uses. Um, So this was the Alpha Omega that I found in the Great Pyramid. And it's interesting, we've had a few um, since that time Archaeologists as well as um, Egyptologists go to actually inspect it, and they sent me back pictures and even video of it, and they were able to find it as well, and they were kind of just blown away. But I have this great shot that I posted on my Instagram of all these these uh, Egyptology people standing around with these special lighting and everything, taking a picture of the uh, the rim of the sarcophagus. And you know, for me, it was uh, it was an incredible moment to have found that in um, in 2018. And I remember telling you before I left, I, I said, I know I'm going to discover something. Something's going to happen when I go back. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I feel the same way on this next trip coming up. And, you know, it's uh, it's just very exciting for me. I'm, I'm definitely living uh, living the life I would want to be living, which is, which is super fun. Super fun.
0: Yeah, man, that's amazing. And when we were there in Egypt, they were saying that only maybe 20% has been excavated, that there could be... 80% more underneath like where the where the plateau is of of tunnels of of things down there for us to kind of oh, yeah. explore and
2: well and that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to is
0: that we're going to be able
2: to get uh down the the shaft of Osiris which is about you know a couple hundred feet and there's a ladder that goes down 40 meters just the ladder by itself is 40 meters long it's so over 125 feet it's a pretty long ladder so everyone's got to be in really good shape and um and of course sign their waivers and everything this is going to be a more of an adventure trek uh than anything i've ever been on before and where, uh, where so is
0: that shaft
2: which the cyrus is on the on the causeway so it's between oh, okay. the sphinx and the, and the pyramids
0: right yeah because there's the i wasn't sure if it was the one that's in the great pyramid that we're in that just goes nowhere <laughs> just, yeah, I spent I spent about five
2: is, hours inside that little shaft. It's so dark. In a wall, it's so dark, right? It's
0: so crazy.
2: <laughs> very dark. So yeah, it was uh it was a great trip. My first trip. I've spent three nights in those pyramids now. And I'm gonna be doing it again at least once, if not twice, in another, you know, month or so. So I'm very excited about it. It's gonna be a super epic trip.
1: Yeah. So
2: I'll uh, show you a few other things that are just very recent. Um one of the things that I had discovered recently as well is that all math constants. So you, you probably are familiar with Stephen Hawking, who is a famous physicist who, um, you know, recently passed away yep. and he's famous because they made the movie, the theory of everything about his life. And one of the things that he uh, sort of puts forward as requirement for a true unification theory in physics is that all the math constants have to be uh, placed and understood as being relational one to another. So I discovered this about a year ago, but it was since our last call, so I thought I'd share it with you. All the math constants are different reflections of the same number, which is related to one over 137. And 137 is is fundamental uh, because on many levels, you could look at the Hebrew writing of the word Yahweh as pi times seven over pi to the seventh power. That, that would actually give you one over 137 uh, as a calculation. And, um, and so it's been the most enigmatic number in physics. Uh, Richard Feynman referred to it as, you know, we don't know how God pushed his pencil on that number because it's the 33rd prime number. It's got a lot of mysticism and association uh, with stuff that is just not understood. Um, in the physics and mathematics community. And it's also the separation between light and darkness. Uh, We do know that 137 is a unique number in that when you excite an electron, it will either emit a photon and it will stay in its same electron shell, or it will absorb a photon and jump to a higher shell, right? Go back to your chemistry classes in physics. And the threshold energy for it to do that is right at the value of 137. It's referred to as a dimensionless number. And the one over 137 value is 0.00729735. So in exact terms, it would be 137.036, which is slightly different than the golden angle. And I'll explain why uh, 137 and a half sits so in the middle of this. But you can see this, um, I had written this out about a year or so ago. So it was uh, March 18th, 2019. And I had it on a hexagon and pentagon. And I noticed that, uh, that those two are fundamentally tied to each other. So if you've heard of 433, 432 hertz tuning, 432 hertz tuning is what it is because it relates to 360, and it's a six over five relationship with 360 degrees. So if I take 137 and a half, which is the golden angle, and I divide that by 360 degrees, it gives me one over 0.03819, which is the first number to the left of 137 and a half. You can see it there. And that just happens to be that value um, is, uh, is 2.618 as it's one over X value, right? So one over 0.3819 equals 2.618, which is phi squared and 1.618 is phi. So, Also 1.618 minus one is also phi, it's 0.618. So one minus 0.3819 equals 0.618, also phi. So then if we simply transform that and go to the left further, we have 261.8 now, which is phi squared times 100. Divide that by 360 gives me 0.72727. If I multiply that by its up uh, harmonic relationship, which is 432, it now gives me 314.159 degrees. So, in this context, pi squared or the golden angle just became pi times 100. 314.159 is the same as 3.14159. It's just multiplied by 10 to the second power. So, what this is basically showing is that every math constant is just a reflection through a simple transformation to every other math constant. So all those math constants on the right side here, which is phi, phi minus 1, phi squared, pi, 1 over pi, 4 over pi, alpha, right? And gamma plus 1 and Euler Euler minus minus 1. These are all fundamental math constants that are perceived to be totally separate, just as you and I are separate. But actually, they're just reflections of the same number through simple transformations. I'll give you another example. 137 and a half transforms up. 137.5 divided by 360 gives you that 0.3819 I mentioned. 1 minus 0.3819 times 360, or divided by 360, excuse me, equals 0.1718, which is exactly the value of the sacred qubit in feet, and it's also Euler minus 1 divided by 10. So the Euler number is 2.718. You subtract 1 from it and divide it by 10, and now you've got 137 and a half, right? Subtracted, uh, divided by 360, subtracted from one, and you've got the exact same value. Now you can do this on your calculator at home. This is a language. You can think of verbs as, as mathematical constants, like each of these numbers are, that are having irrational tails, like appending an ing to the end of, an, of a word, like the word text, I can be texting. ing is like the irrational tail, which connotes a verb of action. And so this is the language that consciousness in the universe uses to to do things. It's actions. You know, one over 0.1718, which is Euler minus one divided by ten, minus one minus 137.5 at that fractal gives me the 222.5, right, square rooted. And now I have the gamma constant which is called the Euler-Mascheroni constant. And then if I take that value and do the same transformation to it in reverse, I get now 0.1618, which is back to phi. So all of these are all verb conjugations of the same verb. So part of the reason I went to meet with the Dalai Lama is to show him this, that all the math constants that the realm of science and mathematics has looked at as being completely separate and not at all connected to each other are all just mirror reflections one of another. And I think that has some very big philosophical connotations associated with it too. So every math constant is just a reflection of every other math constant.
0: Is your mind blown yet there, Matt? Oh, yeah, properly. But you know what's interesting, I was, <laughs> I was paying attention as hard as I could. and hearing this again uh more of the information of what you're saying like i understand it a little bit more i'm not going to say i understand it um, i just understand what you're saying a little bit more and what i find really fascinating is using the analogy of having math as a language and and that's really just something that's so fascinating to to even consider
2: oh absolutely and and hopefully i hope it changes people's relationship with mathematics. That math is not a heartless, nameless, faceless thing that we've been taught to some people despise, right, in junior high school. It's actually a very beautiful form of communication. It's a language. It's no more or less emotionless than letters that build words in the writings of Shakespeare. And mathematics is the exact same thing. It's just a language.
0: Yeah, and where do you where do you see this going? Like where the where do you see the edges? Like uh, we've talked a little bit about this uh, in private. I remember uh, you described it. I asked you a question in Egypt, and you just gave me a really mind blowing answer. And it was something around like the fifth dimension, and and I can't remember how you, you even how what I said or how you described it, but it was a really amazing way. And I've looked at videos where it's trying to show you visually what a fifth dimension would be or using the analogy that definitely most people can understand is you know if you were a two-dimensional creature 3d would blow your mind you wouldn't be able to perceive perceive it because you're two-dimensional so do you like where do you see this going do you see this as like this new understanding of like um breakthroughs in in what people might perceive as fifth dimensional or ascended consciousness or like such a breakthrough in technology where we are using anti-gravity and there's space travel and things like that become a real possibility like star trek where they're you know they're beaming people and we we get to that level of advancement if we get to this next breakthrough in mathematics
2: i think i think there's potential for that for sure Um, and i think that You know, most people look at physics from the perspective of starting with a cosmological theory like string theory and then extending it into physics and then trying to back it with geometry and have the geometry and math sort of substantiate it or validate it. Uh, And then they do a proof with experimentation, but they stop at the math. They don't actually go all the way down to the number theory. So what me and our team does here is we have about 12 of us now that work together together starting from number theory, and, and we allow the number theory to inform the cosmology. And because there is a fundamental basis, the thing is, is that nature knows how to count. That's why the Fibonacci pattern exists. Nature knows, you know, how it's, it's a totally self-contained, extremely efficient law of conservation, right, process that nature undertakes to build this world around us. And it understands how many petals a rose has. It understands how many seeds are in a sunflower seed, right? How many, you know, fractals of those, of those seeds are in those sunflower seeds. And it's incredibly beautiful. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna show you a quick video that shows you one of the things that we're working on right now is how to get around computational time, which is associated with certain very complex algorithms uh, that relate to encryptions and otherwise, right? And how do you get those, uh, how do you bypass the conventional way of thinking about computers to be able to jump in strings of infinite numbers? And so I'm gonna show you an example here of an analysis that I did, uh, and it's pretty quick. So let's see here, I'll do a share. Okay, so this is why I'm exploring the rotational symmetry of 1 over x values of prime numbers. And notice this pattern that, um, that you basically take any prime number with what's called a period. So 1 over x value that is either a full period or a half period. And 1 over x is just simply to take a number like 31. And to find it's 1 over x would just be take 1 and divide it, right, by 31. So you can think of it as points around a circle. Okay. Yeah. Circle that are not either of those. Um, and you take their one over x and then you double their one over x and you can jump inside their string just like this. So one over 31 equals point oh three two two five eight oh six four five one six one two nine, and that's 15 digit period. If I double it, I get 064516129. And What's interesting is you'll know now these numbers also you would know would be infinite, so those same fifteen digits would just start over again and repeat infinitely, right? And that's what happens with uh, uh, with uh, with numbers and the reciprocal values. That that o six four five one six one two nine and then it starts over again at zero three two two five eight is exactly matching the number above it. So um, if you take that to the uh, multiply by three, then you'll see the pattern break. So now it's, uh, it's 0.096774193548387. Now what that's really doing is it's basically creating a ternary expansion versus a binary expansion. I was trying to understand why is it that we've got ternary and binary expansion. So if I stick to the binary expansions, I can go to four, and so four over thirty-one gives me 0. 0.129032258064516. It's basically rotating the one over thirty-one number. It's just starting from a different starting point, starting from point one two nine, which would basically be right here on the first number series. Let's we'll see how it wraps around. And then yeah. it goes three two two, zero three two two five eight zero six four. So this dynamic continues uh, five works on that because one over two equals 0.5. And then seven and eight also work. But interestingly, three and six do not, and then nine works on a binary, and I thought that should be on a ternary because obviously it's not divisible by, uh, by two into whole numbers, but it works on a binary at nine. And you can look at the ternary numbers, so you've got three over 31 and then six over 31. And three over 31 is basically giving us this 09677419, that's basically just three times that number right there. And then you get to six, and it's just double that. And then you get to nine over 31, and it's really just three times three over 31. So then this continues, this pattern continues, it creates wave patterns. So I continued all the way out. Now the conclusion is you can see here all these number series go out. What you notice is that. The number of binary expansions on the first half of the 31, you know, so the first uh, 16 or 15 out of 31 positions are predominantly binary. And then when you get towards the end, you'll see an expansion of more ternary expansions. So, for example, you know, 24, so 23, 24, 26, 27, 29, and 30 are all ternary expansions. So you've got binary expansion here and a ternary expansion and the binary expansions so that I can jump within the digits and I'll explain why that's important in a moment to get towards the end of a uh, to get towards the further into the string of a 1 over x value It's kind of like jumping into a, a, a time portal because you don't want to have computer processing time if you're trying to express a very very long period you've got to express all the numbers in between uh, you know the first digit all the way to wherever you want to jump. And so trying to find a faster way for computers to be able to jump mathematically into those one over X strings. And the turner expansions are three, six, 11, 12, 13, 15, 17, 21, 22, 23, 24, 26, 27, 29, and 30. Now, what I did is I decided to put this onto a, onto a uh, uh, geometry. Of 31 side so here we are the geometry of 31 sides so I placed all those numbers starting with one over 31 right here going all the way around yes my hand is a bit tired right and I notice how they're rotating so not only do we have rotation within the number itself each of those number series are basically rotating and slotting at different positions And uh, and that means that you can jump far into the string. Imagine this is a very large digit number. You'd be able to jump far in the string by finding the rotations along the circle uh, for these types of period primes. So what I started to analyze as well is to understand what's going on between binary and ternary, and then it hit me. Because what I noticed was that I color-coded binary as red and ternary as blue, and I noticed that the red across a mirror at center like think of it like a phi symbol with a mirror right down the center is creating uh the first position which is red and then the 30th position which is blue and then the second position is red and then the 29th position is blue and i noticed a mirror symmetry between ternary and binary so what's really going on is charge polarity so red is combining with blue without any exception to create These green waves at the center. So it's a male and female um, uh, charge polarity positive, charge polarity negative, for ternary, which is exactly consistent with our number theory uh, on on electricity for the number two, and also for the electron at the number three. So we see this incredible symmetry rotationally around the entire number, but then within each number rotating as well. And rotating to the point where we can actually jump deep into the string and and so what we're trying to figure out is how to now take this and apply it to irrational numbers how can we reconstruct an irrational number from a prime number that has a period just like what we're looking at here in this case 31 so that it actually becomes deterministic we can jump deep into pi and deep into phi and alpha any of the math constants Uh, golden number, etc. Golden angle as well. So I've come to the conclusion that randomness is simply the inability to perceive pattern where pattern exists. Um, I've not yet found anything mathematically that doesn't conform to a pattern. It's just having the knowledge to be able to see how that pattern actually comes together and how it manifests. Have a great day. Now there's a last one here. Okay, so, and yet another pattern emerges out of this. I just was looking at this and I noticed that the blues and the reds coming together, so blue and red, red and blue, red and blue, blue and red. And and also one other thing I wanted to point out that I did not mention is that there are more reds, there are nine, right, And nine reds on the right side of the circle and there are six uh, blues, and then there are nine blues and six reds on the left side of the circle, leading me to point to this sort of male descending arc around the circle and female ascending arc around the circle. But there's one other thing I wanted to point out as well, and that is I was noticing that <clears throat> if I take the digital roots, which is the green numbers here, that's just the, the number added within itself in what's called modular arithmetic and mod nine, I noticed that seven plus six equals 13 which equals four right and eight plus five equals 13 and nine plus four equals 13 and one and three one and three together equal four but it's also 13. so with the exception of two and two which is basically giving me four which is the same digital root as 14. i've got 13s all the way up uh, on every single one of these mirror reflections all at the top and of course 13 is the palindrome for 31. Now, (laughs) I am stunned whenever people believe that there's just not patterns in the universe, but I look at all this rotational symmetry and I come to the conclusion that maybe randomness, right, as I wrote up here, randomness is simply the inability to perceive pattern and maybe randomness is simply mankind's inability to perceive God's pattern encryption. So, one thing I want to show you here, that, okay. Now, if you um, could see this close up, and notice the last number on each one of these strings are just different values of the same number, just, you know, one over 31, two over 31, three over 31. And the last number here, you can't see it at the top of the screen, but it starts with nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, 3 2 1 9 and then it basically continues repeat 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 so it's totally predictable now what this allows us to do is to jump within strings and predict the next numbers of pi which is supposed to be totally random hmm. okay so all we do is we find a relationship between a prime number its reciprocal value and pi and then we can recreate a pi string far, far, far into its string without any computational time. So if I wanted to look at today, if I wanted to compute pi, and I want to find the 10 billionth digit of pi, it's going to take me probably 20 seconds to find the 10 billionth digit of decimal of pi, because the computer has to run every number before then. We can't just teleport right over to the middle of the string or you know, further into the string, the 10 billionth digit without computing every single digit in between. What we found is a shortcut by writing on the back of a prime number through its rotational symmetry and finding its relationship with pi, we can recreate the pi string, which means it's deterministic. Every prime number can actually determine the string of pi, which is supposed to be random. So again, I go back to the same thing that, you know, our perception of randomness is simply that we're not seeing the encryption. We're not seeing the pattern. We're not perceiving it. And how does this, what does this mean for all kinds of things? Um, I can tell you that it feels like what we're doing is we're bending time by learning how to jump onto the back of a wormhole that is associated with a prime number. Now, everything has to manifest in the physical world around us. So that means there must be prime number reciprocal value wormholes somewhere in the universe. And that you can ride on those to basically jump far distances without having to go very far at all.
0: Holy crap, man. My mind is absolutely properly blown. I was giving all of my focus trying to understand this. And again, it's, uh, it is unbelievably mind blowing. And I definitely invite anybody who is listening to this. You should check out the video and also check out what, what's your YouTube. Is it Robert Grant on YouTube? Robert
2: Edward Grant on YouTube. Also, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, on, I have a website also, robertedwardgrant.com. Um, But I'll take you through a couple of other things that will kind of bend your mind a little bit further. This will be a little easier to follow, I
0: think. So you're suggesting that this this could be mathematics that would eventually move into it seems like number travel, but like actual time travel or something like that? Like science expression?
2: Numbers have to numbers only don't only manifest on your calculator. They manifest in the universe. There's numbers that back everything. You know, Pythagoras, Plato. All is number. And so if there is a hypothetical construct with a number, it must manifest in physicality. Mm. So if there are 1 over x values that you can write on the back of to predict a future time, right? And you can basically break a period of time, which is a set value. It takes this much computation to do this kind of computation. Mm. And of course, we get better and better with Moore's Law at speeding up those computations but we don't have a paradigm shifting jump that's only achieved through mathematics, mm. right? We have to teach the computer a new way to be able to derive it because we don't think that, you know, that the pi sequence is deterministic. Well, I'm telling you it actually is it's deterministic and you can do it on the back of any prime number. You just have to know how the relationship works. Wow. So that means that there must be a correlate in the universe somewhere. And So that's one of the things we're on the hunt to find. Now, I'm going to show you another thing here real quick, which is the same six and five relationship, which creates a fullerene, or what's referred to as a hexapentacus, truncated icosahedron, which I said at the beginning of the call. Uh, It's a mouthful, but it's basically just pentagons, hexagons. Another simple way to say it is it's a soccer ball. Okay, it's a soccer ball. Now, what is it about this particular thing that was unique that I found just over this break and working with Alan Green so this is my hand drawing here and I like to do this kind of geometry it definitely uh, uh, it, it definitely soothes the mind somehow uh, and trying to find it and do it in a way that's very exacting is not easy but it's it's very satisfying too when you when you actually can and what I noticed was that our units of measure are embedded in this geometry. So if I place here, uh, horizontal to the number six in the middle of the hexagon, that has a inscribed circle inside the hexagon. You can see it here. And the radius of that circle is one foot. Let's say nominally it's one foot. Now we've all thought that our metric system was created in the 18th century by the French, right? and it has sort of nothing to do with the foot. And the foot was, as I was taught, determined by some king who had a foot of a certain size (laughs) and said, this is gonna be the foot here and after. Well, what if I told you it's just fractalization of this same geometry that gives us our units of measure? So this one is the foot right here, this inscribed circle inside the hexagon. The exoscribed hexagon right, around the circle, that the circle is inscribed within, at the next level, from the center where the number six is, to this edge is one cubit. Now, that's the unit of measure that the pyramid was built off of. We know that the cubit and the foot are inherent to the pyramid's design. Now, the part that was vexing to us all was, I was trying to figure out, okay, well, how does that relate then to the meter? And then I realized, well, I had to go outside the hexagon to do that, because You know, the the foot and the cubit are based on a base 12 system. You have 12 inches, right, and a foot. And the metric system is based on a base 10 system. So now I've merged this together with a pentagon, right? And a pentagon that has the same side length as the hexagon, which means that it's about, you know, 17% smaller in size, the diameter of its circle, than the hexagon circle that it's inscribed within if i take the distance of the outside of that hexagon to the center right of this pentagon to another pentagram that's inside of here that distance comes out to be exactly 3.281 when you consider the one was the same radius of the hexagon's inner hexagon so now we have the foot meter and cubit all embedded in the same system and by the way not only that because time itself is based upon the base 12 system which is the imperial system if i have a one meter long radius and i take 30 degrees of arc or one twelfth of the circle then that arc will take exactly it will be one cubit of length okay so the two are connected for sure one cubit of length and it will take exactly one second for a pendulum to swing across that distance if you have a one meter long string on your pendulum. So now what this has done is this simple geometry has now united the foot, meter, cubit, and our time measurement system. Now explain that one to me because these things are not supposed to be related. And yet clearly they are and they're built into the same geometry of the five and six. What
0: are you thinking there, Matt? man i'm just doing my best to follow you holy crap i'm just wondering how the heck you you come up with this stuff and 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 connect these things and and it's yeah it's pretty mind-blowing man so you you see here i've got this ruler and i and i wanted
2: to make one foot on my page be equal to one inch so it's easy for people to see that it actually does match up yeah you can see one to one it matches And then same thing here with the cubit. So from the center to here, you can see it goes to 1.718 of an inch. Okay. And the same thing is true for measuring, although I don't have the picture on here, same thing is true for measuring the 3.281 feet. That is the meter. Now, interestingly, it all relates to the fathom, which is six feet. an arm span, we say, I can't fathom. It's unfathomable, right? I used to work with this guy who always pronounced this wrong. He kept saying it's unfantomable. I mean, he sounded like he was from you do. It's unfathomable. No, it's unfathomable. A fathom is the amount of space that you can get your arms around just like the Vitruvian man. Hmm. So it's six feet. So six feet minus the sacred cubit, right? Minus one, minus Euler number, because the sacred qubit is Euler minus one, gives me the meter. And these are math constants. The relationship, you know, for for the qubit is Euler minus one. It's 1.71828 feet. Now, that's an advanced knowledge about a mathematical constant that we thought they wouldn't even know what pi was, even though the king's chamber is 60 qubits in its perimeter. But if you make that conversion into meters, it turns out to be 31.4159 meters. 314159, that's pi. Right? So the exact King's chamber perimeter in meters is pi times 10. Now, interestingly, the alpha omega I discovered on the rim of the sarcophagus is 5.6 inches. Exactly. And 5.6 squared equals 31.4159. So 5.605 squared inches gives me 31 points of pi times 10. It's the exact same thing. So the builders that put in place this, these markings knew what they were doing. They, I mean, they had a level of precision that is way beyond any of us, right? And, and this all relates back to a cube octahedron. Right? So the hexagon is inscribing within it a three-dimensional view of a cube octahedron, right? Or a 64-point star tetrahedron. And then this relates to time itself. Time is this exact geometry repeating itself over and over and over again. And 30 degrees of arc of this gives me one second when my radius is one meter exactly. And it also gives me an arc distance of 1.718 feet, or the sacred Egyptian cubit. Now, how could this be? How is it possible that all of this is so perfectly embedded inside this great pyramid? And here's another view of the great pyramid. So, you know, the, the symbol for Yahweh was pi times seven over pi to the seventh power. And that's the way it's written in Hebrew, Hebrew. Well, that comes out to be 3,020, uh, Uh, is pi to the seventh power feet and that's the exact perimeter of the great pyramid so yahweh has the perimeter of the great pyramid embedded in its pi to the seventh power value and that is actually equal to euler times one 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 perfect which is like wow that's a mind blower right how is all of this so damn perfect And, you know, the foot, meter, cubit, all of it is embedded into the Great Pyramid. And that's, you know, the great work by Alan Green that basically shows us this. And I think what it's actually showing us is how to create and separate light from darkness. Hmm. And if we take the the spatial dynamic of it, which is that you've got a a sphere that has embedded within that sphere a tetrahedron. It has a spatial differential of one-thirds, two-thirds. So, pi times two-thirds plus Euler times one-third equals 3.000. Three times 10 to the eighth power is the speed of light in meters per second. Three.
0: Hmm. And was it you that discovered the uh, the Yahweh mathematical equation? And you explained yes. that in our last one? Wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that's unbelievable, man. I
2: show it to you guys here. I have it here somewhere.
0: What, what do you think um, – like do you think the pyramids have revealed from where you are now and the understanding of what Alan Green's put together, what you're working on now, do you say that maybe it's like 50% of what the uh, pyramid would reveal, 90% of the math, 10%? What, like, what do you think that it has left to discover as far as mathematics and these things that you're, you're kind of presenting right now?
2: So I'm, I'm starting to wonder, first of all, you see this also, that 5.16 cubed equals 137 also. And that's the pentagon merging with the hexagon. They have a shared side that gives it the one value between 5.16. And um, you can see here, this is Yahweh. This is the I am that I am. And it's pi to the seventh over pi, uh, Uh, pi to the 7th over pi times 7, or pi times 7 over pi to the 7th. It doesn't matter. It comes out to 137 and 1 over 137. Because pi to the 7th power equals 3,020. Pi times 7 equals 22. 3,020 divided by 22 equals 137. So it's actually an equation. And, you know, back uh, back to what we were working on here. So what, uh, what we then found was I started taking and, and, you know, someone had noticed in this picture right here and they sent it to me. So actually I get a lot of help from people that follow me on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And they're like, Hey dude, check it out, man. You just drew here without even recognizing it, the tree of life. It's just on its side and kind of upside down. And here's the tree of life. And then the five would be the bottom of the tree of life and, and the, and the top of the hexagon would be the top of the tree of life. So I was like, wait, what? No way. And, uh, and so then I I drew it out as part of the hexagon pentagon. Now, this has always been kind of a mystery because they're like, is the tree of life everything or is there more to the tree of life? And there's always been this kind of like at the, at the there's never been this pentagon at the bottom. So everyone can see that there's two hexagons or two hexagrams that are embedded within the tree of life at the top. But it sort of stops right here at the center in the current tree of life iteration. So I drew this and I was like, Hmm, this is really interesting. And, uh, and so I took it a little bit further. I started playing with other stuff like this and took the hexagon and then started putting here and I was drawing a flower of life and I was seeing what would happen with correlation of the flower of life. And, as a result of doing that, it kind of looked like an old picture from a Bible or something that came out. So I kind of made this into some art. And then I took it the other way and said, okay, what happens if I take this as the hexagon, which is a cuboctahedron, and then have it swirl around and have these parts where the circles are be the tree of life. And what happens? It, it fits perfectly inside these different uh, arrangements. Hmm. So then I thought, wow, that's really freaky. And this is literally stuff I just discovered this last weekend. Now, this would be this is a drawing that I did of the hexapentacus the five and six, or or the buckyball or fullerene, um, which has a sum of interior angles of thirty two thousand four hundred degrees. And you can see this is a hexagon merging into pentagons, right? So you, you take six of these triangles together and then five of them together creates a pentagonal reference, like you can kind of see up off on the side here to the right. And then you can see it's drawn in three dimensions. And this is from a, uh, someone had sent me also on Facebook. They're like, whoa, after they saw my picture of the expanded tree of life, they're like, oh, I found this reference to what you're drawing from some script from like the 17th century which shows a pentagon at the bottom of the tree of life, same thing. Hmm. So expanding on this, then I took, Oh, wait a minute. This is interesting. Now, I noticed that the positional points of this were all the same or very similar to the symbology for Thoth or mercury. Mm. And I thought, wow, it's interesting. The only thing that's new here is that there's now a heart on here. But I was like, what's with the legs? Because John Dee drew this in the, you know, late um, 16th century, early 17th century. And and he called it the Monas Hieroglyphica. And he showed this symbol of Thoth, or Mercury, which has the Taurus's head, right? And Taurus... uh, Rus means rose, and Tau is the letter T in the in the Greek alphabet. But Taurus also means Aleph, which is Alpha or bull. Okay, so so Taurus actually means Alpha Omega in the same symbol, and Rus means rose. So Tau, so Tau is both Alpha Omega because it's Aleph and Tau, the last letter of the Greek alphabet, or the um, of the uh, uh, Hebrew alphabet, excuse me. There's no omega in the Hebrew alphabet. So it's olive tau, olive tau, tav, tav not And And so then I t- took this and I took, oh, okay, well, this is kind of remarkably similar to the way that, you know, monos Hieroglyphica is constructed, except there's this kind of like heart-shaped top at the base, right, for the monos Hieroglyphica. And I thought, well, how is that? So I started drawing it out from the perspective of the flower of life. And, uh, and, and what this is basically showing is that it fits perfectly on the tree of life as well as the flower of life, as well as the symbol for Thoth. The only difference now is that we've got these extra looks like extra chakras or extra energy points or circles here, which are representations of the heart chakra. So the merger of mind or brain and heart takes you to the next level. Right? It's like a leveling up. And then, still, what's happening down here at the bottom? Well, then I, I, I was kind of like playing with that. And then I realized, uh oh, there's a pentagon down here as well. And if I were going to represent all of the points on this extended flower of life, it would include these. And so I noticed, wow, this looks like a guy meditating with his hands over his heart, right here. And these are his elbows that come down and he's sitting down. It was funny because um, I was uh, and the geometry worked perfectly. I was like, wow, that's kind of bizarre. So it's funny that the very next post I see someone posted this. So here we've combined in this one geometry, we've combined flower of life. Thoth, Mercury, but now in a different position, right? But it's exactly the same as it is for the Monas Hieroglyphica, the merger with the heart and mind for higher consciousness, and the Sephiroth, or the Tree of Life, all in the same symbology.
0: Holy crap, man. And just to be clear, is this this came from. Your, i don't know how you worded it but it's like just doing the math and then once you once you kind of go through some sort of equation you're working on then you draw out the geometry and then you're just looking at what starts to come from that and drawing it from different perspectives
2: what it came from honestly was i was figuring out this foot meter cubit perspective yeah from this picture right then so someone i posted on facebook and someone said oh wow i see the i see the tree of life in there and I was like, well, where's the tree of life? I don't get that. And they said, no, no, draw it this way and you'll see it. So that's the standard tree of life today, right? But then I was like, well, wait a minute, that answers the question. What's here in this circle right here? Because that angle has always been funny. And no one's known what it actually relates to. They always felt like the tree of life is missing it's missing something. It's missing its roots. It's missing its grounding. It's missing its base." Oh. And so there's a pentagram underneath here the pentagram always represents the heart or the rose and and so this became the new approach and then i said okay what happens if i extend it and attach it to other similar because it has to be a replicating pattern of recursion what happens well it just becomes the base of it becomes the point of each of the five points of the star and it rotates right
0: do you think that this is what like uh, the highest levels of Kabbalah are teaching? Like the mathematics of that um, ability from maybe what we're capable of through meditation or, or uh, like what the human being, what the human body is capable of? And then, and then having an actual scientific understanding of why we're capable of those things?
2: I think that these things were left off. It's kind of like the pyramid. I remember when I first discovered the, uh, the Alpha Omega and the Great Pyramid. I immediately felt like, is the pyramid, I remember asking myself this question, is the pyramid a reflection of conscious progression? So in other words, as we achieve higher states of consciousness as a society, as humanity, will more of the secrets of the pyramid inevitably be revealed as we move through higher dimensions so that we can actually reveal them? And to me, it's the same thing with a lot of these symbologies that it's so simple because now you can't unsee. If you look at even this picture, you can't unsee the two hands over the heart, right? It's there. And once you achieve a higher view of something, right? It's like you were trying to say, Carl Sagan did a great explanation. If if you were trying to explain the third dimension to flatlanders, how could you do it? You wouldn't be able to because you, you have to use language of the, of the second dimension to describe the third dimension, and it's incapable of doing it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You simply can't do it. And you have to experience it to be able to describe it. And you have to use new vocabulary to explain what a higher dimensional experience will be. And so the whole time we've been looking at, at Thoth in this Mercury symbol, and it's the only alchemical symbol with the exception of maybe Venus, you could say kind of looks like a woman, but not really. It's just a plus with a circle on top of it. It's the only alchemical symbol that clearly is representing like some kind of being or human or something, right? With a, a crown. It looks like the bull head on it. And it's really the merger of Taurus symbol, which is a circle and the and the bull horns, and, um, and the Ankh, which is the circle with the plus beneath it, which is basically the feminine symbol of Venus. So the divine hermaphrodite, the combined balanced human of mind and heart is able to perceive a higher awareness. It's no longer judging itself or others. And so what John D did is he added the two uh, legs on the bottom and I never conceived of them maybe being like the, the image of cross legs, right? Just like in that uh, energy picture I just showed. And, and then I knew that somehow the, that uh, the other legs of the, Pentagram or Pentagon had to be in there, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, there it is, right there!" And literally, two hands right over the heart, just like this, right in meditation, is immediately what came out of it. Now I don't, I don't know. Who knows? It could just be a wild coincidence for all of this. But this is the same geometry that unlocked for us the foot, meter, and cubit, and it's unequivocal. You can't argue with that. It is what it is. The math is the math. I think it's pointing us to something deeper, something greater. I think it's timely for where the world is right now. And uh, to me, it says something about, it's not just about the brain, but it's about the heart. It's all about the heart. That the go to the next level is about the emotional side and being able to reconcile and transmute the emotion and the difficulty and trauma and pain that all of us experience. Um, and and reconcile it and come to terms with it all so that we can know ourselves and our own path, our own divinity, and understand it in a way that also allows us to accept it in ourselves and in others, both accepting our foibles and our falsities and our our falsehoods and our weaknesses, as well as accepting our own power and not being afraid of that power. So that is the message that it has given me. And, you know, we continue. This, is, this was more on the esoteric side, more on the spiritual side, uh, because the last few weeks I've been in that place uh, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And, um, and so now I'm kind of coming back to the, the regular day-to-day work-life stuff. But I'm, I'm definitely taking this with me. The integration of the heart, it's all about the heart it's no longer just left brain it's right brain in balance and not just about left and right brains but about integrating the heart brain and the brain heart that's what turns us i believe to a higher level of understanding and consciousness and and you know what i'm the reason why i shared this with you today
0: wow man that is and has been absolutely mind blowing and I love the conclusions that you 're drawing from this and just trying to wrap my head around how you present this and, and what you 're showing here is is hard it 's uh, so so dense and I am glad that people got to witness this and they get a little bit of insight and like you know if I message you on whatsapp or something, you send me your pictures and try to explain it to me, so other people can try to wrap their head around it and I also love um, as a side note, between now and our last podcast, you've become like a little bit of an Instagram influencer <laughs> and wow. it's funny because people are gonna be you know kind of helping with with those things and showing you something that you might not have seen. And so I think that's amazing and, and the direction you're oh, going It's amazing
2: is- it's, it's amazing how helpful it is. I get you know I get so many uh, incredible messages. Uh, from people and, and they're, they're like helping me along and same thing with Alan we, we we get help from people and that's the that's kind of the nature of collective consciousness People it's, it's weird like I'm telling you people are working on some of the same exact stuff at the exact same moment even between Alan and myself. We don't talk about it all the time and and yesterday we had a long call And I was like, well, here's what I've been thinking about. And I was going to tell you, you should be working on it. he's like, wow, how in the heck did you know that's exactly what I was thinking I was going to work on next? Or that's exactly what I started working on this morning. And it's like that all the time, like literally all the time, every day now. So there you get into this flow. And I think that there's so much more. Look, (laughs) science today can't even explain why is it that when Women are working in the same office environment. Somehow their menstrual cycles match over time. How does science explain that? And yet it happens. And everybody laughs about it. They joke about it. Or, you know, when you're breastfeeding and and your baby is like 30 miles away from you with a babysitter and the baby cries and all of a sudden the mother starts lactating. How does that happen? That's pure entanglement. And these are basic questions of life that science today just cannot answer. There's no way. But everybody knows it happens because they've experienced it. They've seen it. And the same is true with, with a lot of the stuff. I think we are barely scratching the surface because we've taken the heart out of the science. We've taken the creator or even the notion of an architect out of the creation. And we've made it nameless and faceless. and objective because we wanted to eradicate any notion of subjectivity when actually our entire world experience around us every second of every day is 100 percent subjective to our own perceptions which is where we started our discussion so i don't want to get people lost in the math if there's one thing that i want to say is just just absorb it take it in you don't need to understand all of it just but you you could i hope Remember how you felt and that's the most important thing for the message I wanted to give today because it's hard for me to go on any of these podcasts and actually teach a math course. It's just not there, right? What I want you to see is that there's a lot more than meets the eye. There's a lot more than what we've been told and that we actually are numerically and physically and cosmologically all part of the same one. We all share the same space.
0: Beautiful, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, and your work and and definitely the philosophy you carry with it and the message that you're bringing with these amazing discoveries every time. Like I said, I text you and they're saying, you're like, I just discovered something new. And then I'm like, all right, just trying to figure out what the hell you're saying to me. <laughs> uh, but it's it's amazing. And I appreciate you so much. Uh, where if people want to dive more into your work, into what you're doing or understand and maybe pursue some of the stuff you're working on, wh- where would they go? Would they look at your stuff, or do you have any other people's work that you'd recommend that they kind of take a look at?
2: So I recommend uh, three books for people that want to really dive into a book, or you can take my course, uh, which is on Residence Academy, the one you took as well, uh, called The Etymology of Number. There's a more advanced course series. There's about eight hours and some homework that has to be done on The Etymology of Number, but the point of the course is not to make you a, a genius mathematician. Um, It is intended to teach you how to speak this language or understand this language of consciousness in the universe, looking at it as a language. And it will help you look at mathematics in a totally different light. You'll have a different relationship with math. You won't hate it anymore. You're going to look at it and go, oh my gosh, all these numbers are speaking to me. I've got synchronicities like Carl Jung refers to. You know, see 111 everywhere, or 444, or 333 whatever. And and it helps explain what's happening with that. It's all part of a process for everybody. Everybody goes through. And eventually, hopefully, maybe not this lifetime, but everybody goes through. And um, that's kind of the purpose of it. But, you know, there's an advanced course series after you complete that one as well. And then in addition to that, uh, that's called the language of light. And then the three books I recommend are, one by Talal Guanam, who's my publications partner. Uh, you can also read on my website without having to buy a book. Um, there was about 10 white papers in mathematics of some of our math discoveries on there. Not all of them are on there um, because we haven't finished publishing and we haven't finished writing all the papers yet. We're constantly writing new ones. We have many, many in backlog right now. And um, and this book uh, by Talal Guanam is called The Mystery of Numbers. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. Uh, and uh, I've placed that also on Instagram and recommended that. Uh, another one is Cosmometry by, uh, by Marshall Repperts, uh, who you know also, Matt. Great guy. The book is fantastic. It's got some of my work highlighted in there too. And relational to harmonics. And, uh, and then finally, there's, uh, there's another book um, that is called The Numerical Universe. And The numer- Numerical Universe is, is outstanding too. So, I want to leave you with uh, one thing, if you can indulge me, um, and I'm going to take you to, oh, not that language, okay, this is a video that, Out uh, of the void came
1: hmm. one voice, and the one became many. their place within the whole symphony, until, under the guiding principles of order, discipline, balance, measure, time, and harmony, the many remembered again, their oneness. Could it be that science, hearing the sound of many waters within the seemingly chaotic interference patterns of our reality, has forgotten the art of listening for that one vibration? When circular waves encounter others, they create vesica pisces patterns within themselves. And this repetitive dance of duplication actually creates everything we experience in our daily lives. Science tells us it's all nothing but waveforms and mathematical probabilities. But in 2018, Robert Grant compared many of the known math and physical constants against their fractals or inverse decimal and angular values on a circle, expanding upon the study of quaternion symmetry. Nikola Tesla asserted that the secrets of the universe are embedded in the numbers 3, 6, and 9. And so Grant postulated the hexagonal integer 6 to be the center, the mirror reflection crossover point from which, radiating outward, numbers converge and overlap at various nodes. He hypothesized that numbers both create and emerge out of these wave propagations and thus all constants manifest at the geometrical intersections between their x and 1 over x representations. The first of these conjunctions occurs at the center where the golden ratio phi and its 1 over x little phi manifest. These are framed by the euler mascheroni constant gamma and its close inverse, the square root of 3. The next conjunctions manifest fractals of pi and the Euler number e. These are framed by the cube root of gamma and the light speed reference c against e minus 2 and a presently unknown new constant. The next conjunction manifests the squares of phi framed by a square root and the fine structure constant alpha, giving rise to yet another pair Of new constants. At the Tesla integers 3 and 9, we find pi and its 1 over x fractal, which reveal 3.1623, a most significant balance between pi and its inverse, producing two more brand new constants. Moving further out, each subsequent framing simultaneously converges and diverges like concave and convex lenses, concentrating and dispersing energy. Thus we can see visually how the separation of light and dark is achieved mathematically. And perhaps we begin to understand more fully how the Einsteinian concept itself of space-time emanates precisely such a dynamic wave function. As already shown, this new understanding predicts
0: that at each halving of a wave, another mirroring constant must inherently
1: result from the convergence. We're therefore able to predict with mathematical certainty where new, presently unknown constants will be found along an infinitely ever-expanding wave. Thus, from a simple x against 1 over x analysis, a unifying mathematical theory emerges, revealing an elegant structure hidden within an age-old mystery. Since all the major constants, pi, phi, e, alpha, appear at these convergences, and presently unknown constants are now geometrically predictable, we see they are all pure quaternion reflections of the most fundamental constant of all, the integer one. These findings even suggest that ancient references to a voice of many waters may literally be an accurate metaphor. Developing a unique variant of the original Pythagorean tuning, which postulates that true A above middle C should be 432 cycles per second, or Hertz. Grant has found that the musical notes themselves emerge from the intersections of these overlapping waves. Their Hertz values correspond exactly to their angular relationships on a circle requiring only minimal equal temperament adjustments to become a viable, tuning alternative. And thus we have come, one might say, full circle to the pure, balanced alchemy of science and art, resolving the chaos of the many back into the unity
2: So, um, on that note, I could say it's definitely about the merger of science and art. And art, probably not a coincidence, it sounds and rhymes with art. Let's try out this problem from Harvard MIT Math Tournament. Now you're getting my other videos here in the background. (laughs) Information equals to two to infinity. There we go. So I had this nerdy guy in the background talking about two to infinity, <laughs> but no, it, um, it's, it's that's definitely the message I wanted to give today. That it's about it's about loving ourselves, accepting ourselves. It's about learning that self acceptance and integrating it, transmuting it. And sometimes you have to go to very, very deep lows to find your highest high. And that's okay. So much love to you, my friend. Happy New Year.
0: Yeah, brother. Spectacular. Absolute treat, my friend. Thank you for coming on the show and for everything that you do. I really appreciate having you on. Uh, Is there anything else that you want to cover before we close it out? No, I
2: think, I think. We got it there, but if you're interested in this kind of work, please come visit us. I also have a book that you can uh, buy of my artwork, uh, which is now available. um, And it's called The Mirror of Consciousness. And it's on my website also, robertedwardgrant.com. But come visit us on Facebook uh, at either Robert Edward Grant on Facebook or on Instagram. And uh, I do respond to messages and everything. It's getting harder and harder. We have more than 100,000 people now, uh, and many of them do write messages and such, and it's, like, grown so fast. But, um, but it's, it's been amazing how influential those participants have been in guiding the research. Even I would have never found this latest stuff I just showed you today if not for kind people that were, like, prodding me in to go into different directions. It's amazing.
0: That so, is amazing, man.
2: I'm really blown away by, by the participation people have had on this and how much they, they enjoy being part of this work. So have a wonderful day, my friend, and I hope to see you soon.
0: Sounds good, man. You too. Thanks so much for coming on the show, dude. And yeah, I definitely invite everyone to at least at the minimum, go to your Instagram, check it out because you're always posting really fascinating art it's amazing just to look at and then to read the descriptions to try to figure out what the heck you're going on you know what you're working on and and what you're actually sharing so thanks for all your work man i really appreciate you coming on the show and for everything that you're doing sure thing okay take care man see you later see you guys peace All right, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Episode two with Robert Grant, part two, anyway. I hope that you enjoyed that amazing podcast. Check him out on YouTube. You also have a first podcast that you can go and look at as well. You can check out his work on Instagram at Robert Edward Grant or Robert Grant. Uh, make sure that you. Share this episode if you enjoyed it. Tag myself and Robert. Let us know where you're listening. If you have any questions, if you have questions about this episode, you're probably going to want to direct those towards Robert because he always blows my mind and I only understand a little bit of what he's talking about. So, um, direct the questions his way. Uh, please support the show by sharing, by becoming a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. Thank you to all my patrons join the Academy and get access to the soul compass course. It's amazing. You can go to, uh, Check that out and just thank you guys for all of your support. Thank you so much for, um, the 1 million views on YouTube. I'm glad the word is getting out there and it's only done by you guys sharing sharing, listening, enjoying the show. So I appreciate your feedback. Um, Any suggested guests, any advice, any suggestion, please send them my way. I am all ears. Thank you so much. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we end this episode. So wherever you are in the world, just stop whatever you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly, filling every cell every muscle, and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, wonder, curiosity, and inspiration. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.